Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Here's something new and exciting. Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World is now on social media with uplifting slash mind-bending updates throughout the week. So please follow me on Facebook at David Sachs Spiritual Tools or on Instagram, David Sachs Spiritual Tools. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we we are doing these on Zoom now, uh, as you know, but... But we used to do them live, and when we did them live, there was a, a small special group of us that would meet in Los Angeles, and one of the people who was there, and often the first to arrive was um, uh, Marjorie Green, and, and she she just was nifter suddenly. And, and so we want to dedicate uh, this, this class um, to, to her and, and to the elevation of her soul, and, uh, and, and that the whole family... Um, Rabbi Green and Ellie and and just all of us should be should be comforted and and only hear good things. Um, so so it's still Purim in the world. Uh, in in Jerusalem they're they're celebrating Purim and it's a three day Purim and they're having their feast now. So it's appropriate for us to to continue to discuss Purim. Um, and I want to say over some teachings of Purim that. That hopefully will be new and 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 deep and 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 just teach us how to love and serve God better. So, so if I were to, if someone were to ask me to sum up Purim in one sentence, I would say that Purim is all about um, seeing God when He's hidden. And this is maybe the greatest skill set that in the exile um, we have to develop. The, this. This, this ability, this capacity to see God even when he's hidden. And the amazing thing about Purim is it's teaching us this in the deepest way, that God is absolutely running the world 10,000%, even when you can't see him. And, you know, the B'nai Asaskar says over the, the an explanation of, of the miracle of Purim, uh, so wonderfully. So remember, he's living in Poland in the 1800s, and, and he's talking about China, which I love, okay? So he says the miracle of Purim is like this. There's a, there's a person who's very sick in bed, and the doctor looks at him and says, you're not going to make it. And then he says, you know, the truth is, is that there is this herb in China, but by the time we send the boat to China and get the herb and come back, you're going to be long gone. And just then there's a knock at the door and the person says, a boat just came in from China and it has the herb. So this is an amazing thing. Now you didn't see the splitting of the Red Sea here. It's clearly a miracle, but there was nothing overt about how God altered nature. There was no water from a rock. Bread did not fall from heaven. And yet clearly this is a miracle. And the reason why this miracle is so special in this story, and of course in the, the story of Purim itself, is because we see how God is absolutely running every aspect of creation, even within the confines of nature itself. Now I'll tell you about a debate that took place in heaven. Okay? The rabbis record this. An amazing debate. Which is that Avraham Avinu, is thrown into the Kivshon Ha'esh. He's thrown into the fiery furnace by Nimrod, right? Nimrod wants to kill him. And this is early in, in, in the story of Avraham's life. And now God is going to save Avraham from this furnace, right? An outright miracle. And there's a debate in heaven. The angel who's in charge of ice says, I'm going to save him. You know, my, my power of ice, basically, you know, since he's the minister of ice, God is, 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 is giving him that ability, right? God is the only power. But he says, the ice will put out the fire. And then the, the Malach Gabriel, the angel Gabriel says, no, he says, I, the angel of fire, will put out the fire. <laughs> now, fire doesn't put out fire. 
But here was here was here was the the angel's argument before God. He says, if if the ice puts out the fire, then here's what people are going to learn from that: that there are two powers in the world. There's the power of ice and there's the power of fire. And the power of ice is stronger than the power of fire. But if fire puts out fire, people will learn the following thing, that there's only one power in the world and that nature isn't different from you, God, that there's only God and that you control absolutely everything and that you can even put out fire with fire because there is no power other than you. And God says, okay, put out the fire. So, so that's how Abraham Avinu gets saved. And here we see that even within nature, there's only God. There aren't two separate powers. And that's what Purim is teaching us. Purim is teaching us that God is even working through nature in order to do the miraculous without altering nature. Which means God is always there even if we don't see that he's there. Now, again, this is the major skill set that every person has to be able to develop. And I have to thank my holy brother, Adam Silver. He taught me this, uh, this teaching in the name of one of the Rebbes, um, which I think is really excellent. So Amalek, famously, Amalek is the gematria, is the numerical equivalent of the word doubt, suffolk. And so this is a very very popular teaching. A lot of people know this, but I'm going to tell you a twist in a moment, okay? So so we think that, um, remember, we were learning it uh, last week from the Eretz Fee, from Rob Frummer, that there's two aspects to Amalek. There's the, and that's why we have two Torah readings about Amalek, Parsha Zachor before Purim, and then the, the reading, uh, the Torah reading on Purim Day itself. We've got the a Malik that exists outside of us, that's the nation itself, like the the Nazis, Yamakshamam, right? The, the the actual physical force that, that tries to destroy us. But then we've got this aspect of a Malik within our own hearts that we have to expel. Okay? So what's this aspect of a Malik within us? And that's he says three things: hatred, jealousy, and complaints. Hatred, jealousy, and complaints. And, and the mitzvahs of Purim are helping us to get these things out of our heart. And we can take the, the advice, the, 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 the holy power of these mitzvahs all year long, because, all, all year long, because w- what are they exactly? Matanos Levionim and, and, and also Shalach Munas, which are basically gifts for our friends, or they can be gifts to our enemies, by the way, um, or people who we're in a fight with, and Sadaka. Charity. That charity and, and gifts to each other create unity and help to expel the hatred and the anger and the complaints from our heart. So that's special for Purim. We, we, get, we get it that that, that that ability is supercharged on Purim, but it's a good thing to understand just throughout the year that anytime you're giving charity, you're creating peace. And this the same goes with gifts, you know? Okay. But, but let's get back to this idea of doubt. So another aspect that Amalek puts into our heart is this concept of doubt. And we think if I have doubt that I am failing, right? I have to be in a place of total amuna, amuna shlema, complete and utter faith. And to the extent that I'm experiencing doubt, I'm a loser. Okay, that's what most of us think. But let's take a couple of steps back, okay? God created doubt. Not only did God create doubt, but God weaved doubt into creation itself. And I'm going to be more specific. I'm going to tell you exactly where that exists. And this is from Rav Soloveitchik. Okay? You know, when Shabbos starts, Shabbat, the Sabbath, when it starts, so we light candles 18 minutes before sunset. Okay? In most of the places around the world, in Jerusalem, we do it a little bit earlier, but it's 18 minutes before sunset. And that's at the onset. In Hebrew, we call it ben Ashmashos. In English, we translate that as twilight. So twilight is a really interesting construct, philosophically, if you think about it. 
Because do you know what twilight is? Twilight is this period. It's not day and it's not night. See, if you think about it, God can do absolutely anything. He could have made day go into night. Listen, today goes in tomorrow, right? <laughs> like to the to the millisecond, it's today. Ah, it's tomorrow. <laughs> Actually, it's always today. But you understand what I'm saying. In other words, there would be no problem with going from day to night. But God didn't do that. God created this very interesting time space construct called twilight. It's not day and it's not night. And isn't it interesting that that's when we light the candles? In other words, this is doubt sowed into creation. Twilight is doubt sowed into creation by God. And that's the time when we light the candles. All right, so now let's let's go a little bit deeper, okay? So the problem is not doubt. The problem is not doubt, because God created doubt. Everyone has doubt. Here's what Amalek told us. Remember, Amalek is the gematria of doubt. So Amalek and doubt equal each other, okay? Here's here's what Amalek told us. You can't live with doubt. That's, That's what Amalek put into our heart. This sense that if I have doubt, that I can't go on. But you know what? We can go on with doubt. And we have to 1,000% develop the ability to function in the face of doubt. And Amalek tells us a lie, which is that there's there's only clarity. If doubt exists, this this is just a deal breaker right? You can't function this way, or you're, you're irrevocably broken. But it's not the case. God created it in the world, and we have to learn how to function in the face of it. So I think that's a very, very important teaching, a very important teaching. I saw it in another version um, from Jared Kushner, of all people, and and uh, I read this, he wrote this like many years before he, you know, kind of, you know, became a household name. He was in the sort of like this super high stakes world of New York real estate where, you know, buildings go for billions of dollars, you know, and 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 property values are going up and down all the time. So if you buy you know, at the wrong time in the market, then, you know, you can be billions short or you can be billions up. It's really like a, a boomer bust kind of business. It's pretty wild. And and I don't know how I found this thing online. It was some late night and somehow reading the, the musings of Garrett, Jared Kushner on real estate. But there I was. And here's what he said. He said, you know, if you want to be able to be in this business or in life, you have to be able to learn how to live with uncertainty. And I thought, wow, what a great phrase. And that's, that's a great summary of everything we've been saying up until now. A person has to live, be able to develop this, this skill set to live with uncertainty. And to put that in the language of Torah, to put it in the language of Purim, What it means is a person has to develop the ability to see God even when he's hidden. That's that's what it's all about, okay? So let's go further with that. You see, a lot of people, they they wonder, is God here? Is God not here? Does God exist? Does Does God not exist? But let me tell you something very clear, okay? If you exist... God absolutely exists, because how are you here? How is there a world here? God made the world and God made you. So if you are here, that is the greatest proof that God is here. Because you wouldn't be here without God. 
Now I'll tell you something else. Many people think, I made a mistake. I did an avera. I did something wrong. I, uh, I fell. Okay. It happens. Happens to everybody. Okay. So now what people think is, God has left me. I did something wrong. Maybe I even knew better and I did it anyway. God has left me. But can I tell you something? If you're here, God is still with you. <laughs> because how are you here? You're here because you have a soul. But what's your soul? Your soul is a piece of God. <laughs> Which means even after you do something wrong, if you're still here, God is still here with you. Because you're only still alive because of your soul, and your soul is a piece of God, which means God never left you. Or, to put it another way, where there's life, there's hope. Where there's life, there's hope. Because it means that God is still with you, a thousand percent. And then after we leave this world, there's only more revelations of God, not less revelations of God, which means God never leaves you in this world. And then even more so, God never leaves you in the next world, which means God never leaves you, period. <laughs> okay. So, So I want to um, read you something. I wrote this. It's not, it's not very long, but uh, I want to read it because I, I, I'll say it better if I read it. Um, so I'm, I want to give you a thought from Rob Frimmer from the Eretzvi, this wonderful book. Um, and I, 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 you know, I've been teaching you Torahs saying over Torahs from, from the Eretz Fee, from Rob Frummer, for many months now, and God willing, I'll be telling you teachings from him for many more months. <clears throat> and I learned this on Purim. You ready for this? Just in case uh, we all need even more of an appreciation of the holiness of what we're learning from him. We're about to learn a new teaching from him, but I want to tell you what I learned because it's absolutely amazing. So there... In, in Los Angeles, of all places, there's one strip, it's called La Brea Boulevard, and there are a lot of, like, hardcore Hasidim straight from, like, like from Israel, on this, like, on this one block. And you, sometimes you walk down this block and you see some of these guys, you think you're in Meir Sharim, okay? Now, there was one person in particular who was, you know, didn't speak English, it's just Yiddish, with a, a beard down to his belly button and a long black coat, and it's like he's on fire, and he, you, you, you see him, you think you're in Meir Sharim, okay? But it was Los Angeles. So I knew this person, and by the way, he's back in Israel, <laughs> and um, he was a walking encyclopedia of Hasidus, like just like a super genius in Hasidus and was putting out books all of the time, an amazing, amazing figure, okay? So I was learning Torah um, uh, on the phone in Israel also, um, on, on Purim, and he walks into the room, okay? And and he wants to know, what, what are we learning? And we say, you know, Rav Frummer, you know, the Eretzvi, and we gave him as a gift, you know, the, the, the new edition, which is great. Now he has it, so he was very happy. Anyway, so he says, here's, 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 here's the reason why I'm telling you this story. He says that he heard from someone, right, who heard directly from the Brisker Rav. Now, the Brisker Rav was a, a giant on top of giants, right? As, as uh, I heard this phrase one time from Rabbi Green, I always loved it. When, when he'd talk about certain uh, great people in Torah, he would say, he had a brain the size of a planet, <laughs> right? So, so the Brisker Rav was one of these people. The, so, so this person who I'm describing said that he heard from someone 
who heard directly from the Brisker Rav that Rav Frummer was the biggest Torah genius in the world. Okay? That's from the Brisker Rav. Now, a lot of people would tell you that the Brisker Rav was the biggest genius in the world. So the biggest genius in the world is saying that Rav Frummer is the biggest genius in the world. So, so here you see that Rav Frummer was a genius among geniuses. Okay? And it's not... When we're talking about Torah genius, we're not talking about IQ. Often, they'll also have the highest IQs, but that's beside the point. It's, it's, it's more than IQ because there's a, a holiness which supercharges the IQ, which brings a person to the level of something akin to prophecy. Okay, so it's, it's, it's more than intellect. It's, it's, it's this fiery kedusha, this fiery holiness you know, which allows a person to see beyond what the eyes can see. Okay. So with that in mind, let me tell you this thought. So it says in Parsha Zachor, one of the, um, one of the things that we read about wiping out Amalek, it says that you have to remember what Amalek did to you, Lecha, in the singular, what Amalek did to you. Okay. So listen to what Rob Frimmer does with that. He says that, that when a baby is born, a baby is all panemius. Panemius means inside. By the way, just as an aside, I'll tell you an aside, something very beautiful in Torah and how Torah differs from Greek, okay? Um, in Torah, the word for face is panim, okay? Panim comes from the word panemius, which means that your face is a reflection of your insides. Like in America, I don't know if you ever heard this expression, it's an old expression, by a certain age you get the face that you deserve. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so, so, so it, this is a very beautiful idea. Um, your face, panim, panim comes from panemius, from your inside. Your face is a reflection of your essence. In Greek, the word face comes from the word facade, which means false front. Isn't that amazing? In other words, your face is a mask hiding who you actually are. That's from the Greek. That's from the Greek. So here you see a real clash of cultures, right? Um, so, so anyway, Rav Frimmer says, again, just to review, it says that you have to remember what Amalek did to you, lecha, to you, okay? So he says when a baby is born, a baby is all panemius, a baby is all inside, or, or said another way, a baby is all soul, or a baby doesn't have any um, ulterior motives. The baby is just pure baby, right? It's just you are just, it's a pure expression of who the person is. But as a person ages in this world, the corruptive influences of this world get into a person's heart, okay? And that's the amalek, that's the amalek energy, that enters into our hearts. And now listen to this. He says, that's the lecha. It says, remember what Amalek did to you. What that means is to you means that at a certain point, I'm more concerned with myself and it's all about me. In other words, in other words, these corruptive influences of the world enter into me. And, and so I'm less concerned about just sort of like, you know, the whole world, and I have more of a selfish agenda. It's all about lecha, it's all about to me. So now listen to how he's saying that's a malik. Remember what a malik did lecha to you. In other words, remember how a malik took your purity and turned your purity into selfish self-interest. 
And that's what you have to get out of your heart. That's when you have to wipe out. You have to remember that he did that. When you have to wipe out a Moloch, you have to wipe out this self-servingness that we have within ourselves. Is that clear? Is that clear? So, so, so now um, I want to add on to this Torah with God's help. And I want to say the following. That, yes, we have to remember that what Amalek did lecha to us. And that Amalek did something else. You see, because lecha is just half the phrase of lech lecha. He separated the lech from the lecha. Okay, so so just, just in case uh, you miss that, let me explain what that means. The, the very first thing that God says to Abraham in the Torah is lech lecha. And that means to go forward. And um, Reb Leibla Eger says something so awesome. He says that that commandment, lech lecha, to keep on going, was not just given to Abraham, but it was given to every Jew for all time till the end of time to keep going. Don't stop. Keep moving. Okay. Now let's break it down a little bit further. Lech means to go. Lecha means to go within. Okay? So so the idea is that you make forward progress in life and then you internalize. The, The forward progress is the lech. Then you internalize what it is that you've done and you think about it and that's the lecha. But if you just have the lecha, meaning to say, if you just have the internalizing, you're able to turn inward reflection into spiritual narcissism. <laughs> In other words, if without the lech, without the public service, without the moving forward, if it's just lecha, then it's only about you. It's not about God. So, so when it says in the Torah, remember what Amalek did to you, and it's just lech without the lecha, that's another corruptive influence that Amalek did with us. Okay, so now I want to go even deeper. So, so Amalek takes away the lecha, okay? Now, lecha is gematria 50. Okay, so how do we get the lecha back on Purim? You want to hear something amazing? Haman was hung on a pole, the Megillus Esther says, that was 50 amos tall. When we get rid of Amalek, you know what else 50 is? It's the top of heaven. Lecha is the top of heaven, 50, because the top of heaven is the Shar Chamishim, the 50th gate. And what do we do on Purim? We hang Haman on a pole that's 50 amos that goes all the way to the top of heaven. You know what that means on a spiritual level? That means we're clearing out all the Haman energy between our hearts and the top of heaven by hanging him on that pole that's 50 amos high, which is gematri lecha, which is going forward, which is connecting to God in the highest, deepest way. We're clearing out Everything that's standing between our hearts and the top of heaven. Okay. Now, we're going to go even deeper. Okay? And I want to... I want to begin by... by looking at the letter Aleph... Because Aleph is just absolutely one of the most amazing letters in, in, in the Torah. There are many, many, many amazing letters in the Torah. They're all amazing in their own way. But Aleph has a really special place in my heart anyway. So, so I think everybody knows what the letter Aleph looks like. I see Ira is, is showing us the letter Aleph there. Um, but that's, that's, you got a little Lamed action going on there. So I'm not so happy with that. <laughs> but 
it's nice, but it's 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 going to be a little bit confusing. Um, so so anyway, so Aleph, Aleph is is a the letter Yud, then it's the letter Vav, and then it's the letter Yud. So Aleph is actually composed of three letters, Yud, Vav, and Yud. And of course, famously, those three letters add up in Gematria to 26, which is the holiest name of God, yud Vavke. And Aleph is the number one, and God is one. So you see already, just on the, just on the, just scratching the surface of the letter Aleph, we see that, that it, it's standing for the oneness of God, the holiness of God, and everything like this. But, as I learned first from um, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaver, uh, a very great Kabbalist and, and a student in the school of the Vilna Gon, um, the letter Aleph is also a map of the universe. Okay? So how is the letter Aleph a map of the universe? So the upper Yud represents the upper waters the hidden spiritual realms, the upper worlds, okay? And the letter Vav represents the Rekia, which means the heavens, okay? Like the firmament. And the lower Yud represents those aspects of the Torah and those aspects of this world which are revealed. So again, the Aleph is a map of the universe, the lower Yud represents the revealed world. The Vav that cuts across diagonally represents the horizon or the firmament. And the upper world represent the upper Yud represents the hidden dimensions of reality, the upper spiritual realms. Okay? Does everyone see that in the Aleph? Okay, good. So now Let's talk about Purim again, because with that background, we're going to go deeper now, okay? So again, what's Purim in one sentence? Purim in one sentence is that God is telling us that even when we can't see him, he's there and that he's saving us, okay? Okay? That's the message of Purim. Even when I can't see God, God in all of his hiddenness, God is there and God is saving us. Okay? Now, you know, we have this incredible mitzvah. It's unique in the whole Torah to get to this place called Adalo Yada on Purim, which means beyond where our intellect can grasp. We have to go beyond ourselves. Now, classically, um, that mitzvah is done by drinking wine, not not vodka, not whiskey, not gin, but really it's supposed to be done with wine. And the reason why it's supposed to be done through wine is because the miracle of Purim itself happened at a wine feast when Queen Esther threw this for Ahasuerus. So, so that's why when we drink, we're supposed to drink through wine. Now, by the way, it's not only supposed to be done through wine. Uh, the Rambam says that a person can take a nap, and when you're asleep, you, you don't know. So you can achieve this, this, um, this mental place of not knowing through being asleep. And certainly, um, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says that you're supposed to get to this place of adaloyada, this place of beyond knowing, through loving your fellow Jew. Okay, so you can do it through, through just this outpouring of love also. It's important that I'm telling you these other shitas, these other ways of understanding it, so you shouldn't just think that it's about drinking. Okay? And certainly if a person drinks to the point where they make a spectacle of themselves, um, or a fool of themselves, or, you know, then, then, then that's not the mitzvah itself. Just important, because, um, you know, a lot of people think that Purim is my 
free pass to become, you know, you know, a, a drunken maniac, you know, and, and I, I get to get away with it because it's a mitzvah. And that's not coming from a place of actual learning. Okay, so it's important that I'm emphasizing this for proper behavior, because we we have to be mentioned, you know. Okay. Nonetheless, the classic way of performing this mitzvah for many people is through wine. And I was thinking about this um, at my Purim Suda this year, and I was just reflecting on the fact that God brought salvation into the world through this channel of wine. And I was thinking, so wine, what is wine? Wine in Hebrew is yayin. Yayin is the letters yud, yud, final nun. Now, the final nun is a straight line. It's a very long line. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, yud, yud, final nun. And I realize, holy smokes, that's basically spelling the letter Aleph. Because you've got your upper Yud, you've got your long line, but instead of it being a Vav, it goes even longer, it's the final Nun, and then you've got your lower Nun. And I thought that was really, really interesting. So, so the wine is creating this Aleph. And it's making us into an Aleph. You see, Rabbi Nachman, in, in one of his most famous lessons in Lukute Maran, talks about how a person has to turn themselves into an Aleph. So how is, how is wine turning us into an Aleph? <laughs> okay, that's the question. So now listen to this. What is the gematria of the letter Nun? It's the number 50. Remember the number 50? What did we say? We said that Haman was hung on a pole that was 50 almost tall. And it happened during this wine feast, during this time of Yayin. Then I was also thinking, you know something? When you turn a vav, vav is the number six, right? That's normally what's in an aleph. When you turn a vav into a final nun, what are you doing? Well, you're adding 44 to it because normally it's the number six. Now it's becoming the number 50, which means you're adding 44. So what's 44 the gematria of? The word dam, which means blood. So basically, the, the most human aspect of a person is their blood. That's the most physical part of your flesh. That's kind of what's pumping inside of you, keeping you going. Remember, there's five parts to the soul. The lowest part of the soul is called the nephish. The nephish is just kind of keeping your body going and your, and your blood pumping, okay? That's your physicality, okay? So... So what's happening is, is that this mitzvah is lifting us up from this place of blood, right? Our, our, human, our, our, our human aspect, our limited aspect, and it's taking us to the upper yud, to this place which is beyond knowing, beyond knowing. And... And this is the amazing, this is the amazing thing. And this is my, my big prayer for Purim. You ready? This is my big prayer. You see, we know God is there when we can't see him. We know you're there, God, even when we can't see you. See, the funny thing is, is that, you know, so many people are angry at God. You know why? Because they don't see him. And so many people do something that, if you think about it, it doesn't really make any sense. But 
but intuitively, we all do it. And I'll tell you what that is. Can you imagine if I tell you one plus one equals two, but for whatever reason, you don't follow it. So I say, because I don't understand it, it's not true. Because you don't understand it, one plus one doesn't equal two anymore. <laughs> In other words, why do we think we can say such a thing? What a chutzpah of a human being that we can say, if we don't understand God, God doesn't exist. <laughs> that we make God's existence contingent upon our understanding of him. What a chutzpah. What a chutzpah. So we know that God exists, even when we don't understand him. So then if that's the case, God, then you don't have to hide anymore because we know you're there. <laughs> so if we know you're there, you don't have to hide anymore. So just come and reveal yourself. You know, it's a classic, it's a classic Jewish story, classic Hasidic story. I wish I knew the Rebbe, but you, you all know it, but you got to say it anyway. A young child comes into his house and, and the child is crying and the father says, why are you crying? And the child says, because we were playing hide and seek. And I was hiding and no one, no one came looking for me. And then the father starts crying. He goes, he goes, now I understand how God feels. God is hiding and no one is looking for him. But the thing is, is that we are looking for God. And we know he's there even amidst the hiddenness. And if that's the case, then he doesn't have to hide anymore. So that's my prayer. Don't hide anymore. <laughs> we're ready. We're ready. As, as Reb Shlomo would say, we're ready for the highest, right? And I'll tell you something else, just a P.S., just because it kind of blows my mind. Let's go back to that Yayan thing again. So we've got the Yud, and we've got the, the Nun, and the lower Yud. So the, the Nun is 50. That stands, for, that stands for the pole that we hung Hamana, which is kind of getting through, getting rid of all the blockages between our heart and the Shar Hamishim, the top of heaven. That's the pole that Haman is hanging on. So when you, that pole goes all the way up to the upper Yud, right? So we're saying that we're adding 44 with this Nun Sofit, because it's, it used to be a Vav, which is 6, and now it's 50 Nun Sofit, so we added 44. So when it gets to the top of heaven, there's a Yud up there. So now it's the number 54. And you know what? Haman's name is mentioned 54 times in the Megillah. <laughs> so we're wiping them all out. We're wiping them all out. And we're turning ourselves into an Aleph. Because now we're the Yud below. And now through Amuna, getting beyond the, the, the ceiling of what we can rationally understand, we get to that upper Yud. We at least know that it's there. And now when we're the lower Yud and we're the upper Yud, we're encompassing the entire thing and we ourselves become like this letter Aleph. And remember, what is all of this, what is the source of all of this coming to fix? Where did all the problems start? in the Garden of Eden, right? When we ate from the Tree of Knowledge. Now, the Gomorrah gives different, um, different uh, examples of what the fruit was, different opinions, what the fruit was. And by the way, the Maharal says that what's really going on in terms of the methodology of the Gomorrah here is they're not debating fruit. It's not that it was a fig. No, it wasn't a fig. It was an esrog. They're not debating that when they give different opinions. They're just, they're just teaching 
in the in the hidden language of the Talmud, what aspect of the human being that the that the that the hate the sin itself most profoundly corrupted within us. So when they're talking about the different fruit, really what they're talking about, according to the Maharal, is what was the primary damage of eating from the tree of knowledge? That's what the discussion is. Very interesting. Okay, just so you get another insight into the language of the Gomorrah and how deep it is. But anyway, one of the fruits that the rabbi mentioned, that the rabbis mentioned, and and Reb Shlomo says Kabbalistically, this is what we say, is that the fruit from the tree of knowledge was actually a grape. Which means this notion of wine is going all the way back to the tree of knowledge. Which means the fixing of the notion of wine, right, which Purim is doing because the miracle was through wine, it's going all the way back to fixing the tree of knowledge. Now, what is it that happened at the Tree of Knowledge? What, what great evil, what great problem, what great lie did the snake put into us? And so Reb Tzadok HaKoyen says this, for me, this was the, for me, the Torah of all of last year, okay? Which is that what the snake put into us was that there could be such a thing as a place where God is not. That such a thing exists in the world. It put within our heart the notion that there could be such a thing as a place where God isn't. And again, now you see how all these things are coming together. The grape and the wine and Purim and how Purim is fixing the the, the fact that we can live with doubt, and that even when we don't see God, that God is there. How all of these things are getting tied together. Now, I want to tell you a story. It's one of my favorite stories. Um, when when I had my first child, um, and, you know, he he was only a, a few days old, so so here's here's my first child and and I'm holding him and and he's crying and he's crying and boy you know when a, when a young child cries, you you just want him to not cry because maybe he's in pain I, I I don't know I just don't want him to cry, so I'm thinking okay he needs he needs to eat he's hungry, so I'm gonna make him a bottle. So I go and I, I warm up the bottle. I'm, I'm, I'm making the bottle, and and he's still crying, 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 and and I feel so bad, and and I'm putting the bottle closer and closer to his mouth, and he's still crying, and then I get the bottle in his mouth. Oh, he stops crying, and I had a question, which is, he saw the bottle. The bottle is what he wanted. He saw the bottle. Why did he still cry? And then I found out something, which is that babies are only capable of seeing a short distance in front of them. Babies can only see a few inches in front of their eyes. And so even though his prayer, his greatest desire was being answered, he didn't have the eyes to see it because he couldn't see far enough. And I realized that's us and God. We don't have the eyes to see the amazing salvations, the amazing blessings, all the things that God is doing for us right in front of our eyes, but we don't have the eyes to see that God is doing them. Just like the baby in the bottle. And so what we have to develop is this capacity to see God even in his hiddenness. And how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, Rav Frimer gives us one way, and I'm going to put it in my own words, but it's, it's far out because it's, 
when you hear it, it makes perfect sense, but it's, it's probably none of us would have said this on this idea on our own. Okay. He says that when a person learns to hide their own holiness, not to advertise their own holiness, when a person learns to keep, like the way Reb Shlomo would say it, when you learn how to keep a secret between you and God. Now, understand that doesn't mean keeping secrets from God, because there's no secrets from God. But there's something so beautiful and so holy when you do something special, when you do a mitzvah, that only you and God know it. It's a secret that you and God have. And that creates a special closeness between you and God when you hide something. He says that when you hide your mitzvahs, you begin to get the ability to see God in his hiddenness. Isn't that amazing? When you learn how to hide your own holiness, you begin to get the power to see how God hides himself within the universe itself. And if you think about it, it makes terrific sense. Because you know if you're doing it, now all of a sudden you have the ability to see that God is doing it. It makes total sense. And I want to learn an even bigger teaching from that, which is that each of us is a microcosm, is a miniature of the universe. We have a body, which is the earth, and we have a soul, which is a piece of God. This is all of us. So each one of us is a miniature of the universe. Right? So... When you learn, like as Rav Frimer is saying, when you learn to hide your holiness, since you yourself are a miniature of the universe, you now can see how God operates within the universe. Because you yourself are a model of the universe. So if you can model these behaviors which are godly behaviors within yourself, you will begin to see them outside of yourself. Let me say it another way. One of the most awesome teachings, another of the top, top teachings from last year, oh my goodness, from the Eish Kodesh, in my opinion, for me, was he said, how do you understand the relationship between your body and your soul? He said, is your body a covering over your soul? Or is your body an extension of your soul? Do you hear that? This is unbelievable. This question is unbelievable. Is your body a covering over your soul? Or is your body an extension of your soul? Okay? This is, this is amazing. He says that if your body is an extension of your soul, then you're uni- you are uniting your body and your soul. And, by, and at that point, when you unite your body and your soul, you know what you're doing? You're bringing heaven and earth closer. <laughs> Outside of you. Outside of you. You're bringing heaven and earth closer. He said, if you make a division between your body and your soul, then you're creating a greater division between heaven and earth. Outside of you. Isn't that fascinating? So in other words, what I'm trying to tell you is that that we're modeling these divine behaviors within ourselves that then become manifest in the world around us. So that's why, you know, that's why everything we do is important. But, you know, to understand that even when we make mistakes and even when we have a bad day or, or a bad week or a bad month or a bad year or, or a bad decade, whatever it is, that, that as long as there's life, there's hope. Because if I'm alive, that's the greatest proof that God is right here. Because I can't be here unless God is also here. <laughs> 
Okay, I want to end just by telling you one of my all-time, all-time favorite stories. And as Reb Shlomo would say, you know, even if you've heard it, it's always good to hear it again. So, back to my son Moshe. When we had our first child, you know, we're driving him around in the back of the car, going from, I don't know, some event to back to the house. And, and at a certain point, we, we realized, wow, the, 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 the shaking of the car, the rocking of the car, you know, puts him to sleep. And so that's very convenient because sometimes you try to put your baby to sleep and the baby doesn't want to go to sleep. And, you know, you get a free gift. You, you just put him in the back of the car, you drive home and he's napping. And then we had this genius idea that I think parents sooner or later realize on their own, which is what if we put him in the back of the car and just drove? <laughs> We're not going anywhere, but let's just put him in the back of the car and drive and he'll go to sleep. That's, that's a great way to get him to go to sleep. So we were excited by this and we put him in the back of the car and we're driving around or I'm driving around and I'm looking in the rear view mirror to see if his eyes are open and, and I'm just driving, right? I'm just going all the way up Olympic, then all the way back down Olympic and all the way up Olympic, you know, just peeking in the mirror to see if his eyes are closed yet and his eyes aren't closed. And I realized he thinks I'm going someplace and he's just along for the ride. He has no concept that I'm not going anywhere. That this entire enterprise is just for him. And then it hit me, that's us and God. We think God created the world. He created bananas. He created mountains. He created oceans. He created us. We just got lumped into creation. We're just, we're just here because we're here. What we don't realize is that God created all of this just for us. Just to have a relationship with us. Just to be in a relationship with us. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. God's not going anywhere. God's just creating this unbelievable opportunity for togetherness. And we can even take it one step further, which is that, you know, we're all praying to be in Yerushalayim with the base of Migdash and Mashiach and God willing it should happen right now. No matter what, though, in a very deep way, on some level, we're also already there because we're with God <laughs> right now, right now, right now. Okay. What follows now are some questions so are and answers. are we with God or is God with us? So the answer is both. We're, we're emanations of God, like, like the, the rays of the sun. You know, if God, so to speak, is like the sun and the sun emits all these rays, each one of those rays of light is like one of our souls, you know? So we're an aspect of godliness. All of us are an aspect of godliness. Okay? We are not God. Man is not God. Okay, some, some people get a little bit confused by that. <laughs> Man is not God. God is within us, but we are not God. Okay, only God is God. And, and, but we exist within God. But on the deepest, deepest level, all that exists is only God. So there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of deep ideas. One is, is that um, by eating from from the tree, and I guess Chava was the first to eat from the tree. So, so there was a lot of light that was diminished from the world. So it's a special mitzvah for women to put that light back into the world. That, that's, that's one level. That's one level. Another level is, is that a malik, 
that energy of a Malik, the root, root, root energy of a Malik really is the snake in the Garden of Eden. And a Malik is putting doubt within us, okay? Telling us that we can't exist in the face of doubt. And so doubt, so to speak, enters into the fabric of creation, and that's twilight. Because twilight, that's Ben Hashmashos, that's when we're supposed to light. It's not day and it's not night. And so by lighting candles at that point, what we're doing is we're lighting up the doubt. We're getting rid of the doubt. Or on the very least level, we're showing that we can exist with light in the face of, the, uh, uh, of doubt. We can confront doubt with light, which is Amuna. Hopefully that explains it a little better. Yeah, so, so I guess I'm just making another connection, or maybe this is implied, that because Shabbos is a testimony to God creating the world and God being in charge of everything, that it's that mitzvah specifically that we get to do at that time to sort of dispel the notion of the suffix, which the, the snake tried to, well, the snake did unleash into us and into the world. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, certainly that works. And, and you know, it's kind of it's kind of nice because what is Shabbos? Shabbos is Shlemus. Shabbos is 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 that is that idea of of, of completeness. Um and and you know when you counter doubt with, with light, then you're putting then you're putting completeness back into the world, you know? So it's it's just uh Anyway, I'm just building on what you're saying, but 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 yeah, yeah, for sure. That God exists in this dimension as much as He exists in the higher worlds. In other words, in the realm of Atsilus, which is the highest realm, God is as present in this dimension that we're in right now as He is in the highest realms. He's just hidden, and the word Olam, which means world actually comes from the root ayin lamid mem, which means hidden. Isn't that interesting that the word for hidden and the word for world are the same word? Because God is hidden in this world. But God is as present in this world as he is in the highest, holiest dimensions. He's just more concealed. And what we have to train ourselves to understand, we have to become more sophisticated beings so that we understand that there's a huge difference between concealment and absence. That just because God is concealed doesn't mean that he's absent. He's as present here in this world and in our lives as he is in the highest reaches of heaven. The big turning point comes when a person says, I don't see God anywhere. And then once they start learning and once their their mind gets expanded a little bit, all of a sudden the person sees God everywhere. The same person goes from, I can't see God anywhere to I, whatever I look at, I see God. And, and that's the, that's, that's the really the glory of the Torah is that it expands our mind in this magnificent way. Um, and and we're able to see God everywhere. But that's really the the skill set that we have to develop, again, that, that we can live and believe in the face of doubt, and that doubt itself is not somehow a, a, a knockout punch for us. We, we understand that God, doubt is just another one of God's creations, and that's just what it is, you know? So, so okay. Horam is always happening— like virtually every year, that as far as I know, during the um, Purim and the Parsha Tetzave. And Tetzave is really an interesting Parsha um, for the reason that from the time that Moshe is born all the way to the end of the Torah, every Torah portion mentions Moshe by name, except one, which is this week's Parsha. So isn't it interesting that Tetzava, which which hides Moshe, and we say Torah Moshe, right? Like the Torah comes through Moshe, and and the Torah and and Hashem, that the Torah is so to speak God's mind. 
okay, God doesn't have a body, he doesn't have any physicality, but 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 so to speak, we say that the Torah is the will or the mind of God, right? So isn't it interesting that that these two things are coming together? Purim and Tetzava, where Moshe is hidden, and Purim, where God is hidden, right? And so so that's that is a, a, a very clear kind of um connection. And and of course, what Purim is teaching us is to see us to see that God is there even when we can't see him. Because remember, the hiddenness of God, and we'll end on this thought, is a very important Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.